show where we go behind the curtain with the stars of the culture wars. I'm your host Alexandra Marshall and this week we are joined by Joel Aegis. Alrighty. Joel welcome to Curtain Call. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. Well you are actually one yeah. of the rising stars of the culture wars which is a bit of a shock to many of our listeners who have become frightened that the Marxist education system has basically robbed us of the next generation of contributors. You're a writer, um, you write for The Spectator and, of course, for The Good Source. So my first question is, obviously, why did you decide to get yourself involved in the culture wars as a conservative and a Catholic? Because it's uh, not an easy gig. No, it definitely isn't. So, I mean, obviously, you know, we all, us Catholics get called out a lot for uh, being, you know, privileged and, uh, you know, being a white male Christian, it's a bit of a, bit of a, um, Oh, what's the word? Bit of a like, you know, ultimate privilege in a sense, apparently, you know. But um, with uh, I got into writing, I think just because I don't know, it was always a passion of mine. I'd always been a reader as a as a child and growing up, and then I was mainly reading fictional books and stuff. And then, sort of towards the end of high school, I started getting more into politics. I think around the time that. Um, that Tony Abbott was rolled by Malcolm Turnbull, which was one of the probably the stupidest things I've seen happen in Parliament. Um, that was around the time when I sort of started to get really involved in it. And then I just took an interest in um, American politics as well once Donald Trump became a candidate and everything. And, um, and yeah, I've gone since there. I've just really gotten into the education sphere in particular because I've seen some really bad stuff going on in there. And wanted to be part of the fight against the uh, the cultural Marxism coming into that sphere. So, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Catholics have a hard time with uh, You should try being a conservative in the culture wars who's also a secular humanist because everyone hates us, literally all the people. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, it's quite a brave thing to decide to come out and write basically against the trend of your generation, which is what's mm. happening at the moment. Mm. Uh, it's never been a time when you thought that you maybe weren't going to continue or that you were a bit intimidated by the whole backlash because it's vicious. People who may not yeah, know oh, you're yeah, on the sure. line crazy. When, if you decide not to, like what, what brought you back if you had uh, reservations? So I'd say probably around the start of last year um, there were a few things that happened that sort of put me off a little bit and sort of had me in a sphere where I was thinking, you know, is this the right thing for me? Is this really where I want to go into? Um, I started sort of rethinking the whole thing. I took a few months off just to sort of rejig and try and um, get myself back level-headed and everything. 
Um, obviously, I was going through some mental health stuff at the time as well. So, I mean, I'm fairly outspoken about that though as well because, I mean, I really want to be an outspoken advocate for mental health as well. Um, but sort of I think I got to a point where I realised, okay, like obviously we need more voices in this sphere. We need more young voices as well, more young conservatives. Um, so I thought, you know what, I need to get back into this. I need to keep writing. Uh, I need to keep fighting for people and everything because, you know, if I go, then there's going to be one less voice that's not there um, fighting for people. So, I mean, that's sort of why I'm in journalism and why I'm in writing and all that. So, yeah. Well, bravo. Yeah. You're, you're, you're completely right because yeah. you usually have to have one or two people stand up and cop all the abuse. And then after that, the people around them, have an easier time speaking. So if you have the strength to do that, you genuinely really help the movement of, of other people to have a voice. And uh, it's always good to remember that for all your hard work, you are actually making a great contribution to the cultural wars. Now, there is a big misconception running around that uh, Catholicism and other religions would just automatically support conservative values. I mean, that is what we are generally thought to believe and told when yep. we were growing up in this generation. But you have written a great article, um, which we'll get into in a moment. Yeah. But basically, in your life, have you come across um, like a surprising and worrying political behaviour from your peers, especially inside the religious area of your life? Um, somewhat. I mean, there's been some that are more, I mean, generally a lot of the people I know that are Catholics are conservative. I mean, um, and generally, you know, when I'm watching um, people online and stuff and conservative commentators, they're generally Catholics and all that, like, you know, people like Mike, Michael Knowles and um, Stephen Crowder is a Christian and all that. Um, but there are some out there that are still a bit, you know, um, they, 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 call themselves Christians and all that, but they don't necessarily follow those values and they sort of lean more left and in um, in terms of those values. And it's quite, it's somewhat concerning, specific, especially in the education system because, you know, in, well, in the Catholic education system at least, in the Catholic schools, um, there is, you know, I've heard stories going around sometimes of, you know, teachers that aren't necessarily espousing sort of conservative and Catholic values and all that in those schools where kids are sent to learn those values. And that's sort of concerning given, I mean, those kids are going to grow up there because, you know, as kids, we're also, our minds are so malleable and all that. Um, and especially as young adults. So we're still learning, we're still developing and all that. Has it gotten to the point where if you say in your church, hey, I'm a conservative runner, I vote for Tony Abbott, that people start to back away from you? Is it that bad yet or not quite? Not quite. Not, we're not there yet. I mean, it's still reasonable at this point. It's still all right, like mostly all right. Um, you know, it, it, that which is, which is promising at least. Um, <laughs> That's a really good way to tell how far the infiltration is going at that point. Yeah. Uh, but you're a lot younger than me, let's be honest. And I managed to skip through the education system before the Marxist thing really got going. So we mm. had postmodernism and it was in our English and in our art class. So we had the whole lot. There's no such thing as the writer's intent and nothing really matters. And But it didn't it didn't creep down into science, you get what I mean. And we weren't doing maths assignments based on how many refugees we could into a boat or anything ridiculous like that. 
So, and I went to, just so that people know out there, I went to a private Christian school, so not Catholic, but a very similar private education system to the Catholic yeah. system. Uh, what was it like growing up and finishing high school in the age of woke? I mean, do you think, was it really bad, first of all? And secondly, if it was, is the curriculum at fault or the schools or, or kind of both? Is it kind of a joint venture? Um, so, I mean, I'd say it's kind of a joint venture. I mean, for me personally, I mean, it wasn't too bad um, when I was in there, at least. I think in the last few years with um, changes to cu the curriculum and stuff, it's sort of gotten slightly worse than it was with me. Although, I mean, I was fairly fortunate. I, I went to it. I mean, I went to a public school, but I mean, it was fairly, you know, it, the politics was sort of left out of it um, generally in most subjects and all that. Um, probably, I mean, I don't remember having much um, to do with um, cultural Marxism or anything like that on um, at school or anything. So, I mean, that wasn't too bad. Um, but... Um, and I mean, you know, you like you weren't dragged to a protest to glue yourself in no, pain or anything. No, I mean, um, like even like you know, I mean, I studied biology in um, in year eleven and twelve. I mean, I didn't intend to, but I ended up doing it anyway. And um, and like we were taught, you know, that there were two genders and all that stuff. And it's just like, you know, now it's all just gone to um, just you know, it's gone down the drain, really. Um, but I think it does come down to both teaching and um, curriculum. So I think the people who are creating the curriculum, um, you know, if they've got that ideology, that sort of um, leftist Marxist ideology, then they're going to influence the curriculum in a bad way for, um, in that sense for, uh, for children. And teachers as well, if, they're, if they've got that ideology, that certain ideology, then they're going to definitely rub that off on, um, on their students as well and sort of indoctrinate them in that sense um, rather than, and that's why I've been saying, you know, it's not really education these days, it's more indoctrination. So yes, it's really, really yeah. true. And the, the teachers are a union. If they wanted to protest and stop this curriculum coming out of the government, then they absolutely could. Oh, but sure. we haven't, I mean, they love having their protest days. When I was at school, they went for a period of time where they were like, I'm going to protest. I'm going to protest. And it's like, no, you've got to stop. But we've never seen a single protest against the Marxist infiltration of our school system by teachers. So I don't believe that they're just being carried along by something against their will. I think they're, well, that's my opinion anyway, that yeah, they're definitely. okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're, all um, good with kids. they're all good with kids protesting these days, you know, doing all the climate strikes and everything. It's just like, <laughs> take a day off, you know, have a day off, go protest. I mean, this is completely off topic and not in my questions, but the most that we got as far as indoctrination went at my school is we used to have mufty days, which was the best way to bribe kids. If you couldn't just rock yeah. off and, oh, go, yeah. and go and glue yourself to a street that wasn't allowable back when I went to school. So we had mufty days and um, they made us support things like Amnesty International. And so I was okay with Jeans for Jeans Day and I was fine with all that. Yeah. But when they said, okay, now you've got to support um, Amnesty International, I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. And they're like, oh, well, you can't come to school in Muffy. I was like, sure, okay. And then a whole stack of other kids were like, yeah, we're not going to come either. And so they let us support a charity of our choice because they didn't want the embarrassment of uh, rebellion inside the school. But um, anyway, that's my little that's my little uh, story of what I got up to. I was a terror. Anyway. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Okay, you are a writer and you have a great piece that you released recently on The Good Source, which was called Latham's Education Bill Highlights a Strange Divide Between Catholic Schools. Now, in it, you talk about the infiltration of left-wing ideology, particularly Marxist gender fluidity-style mm-hmm. um, discussion into Catholic schools. Um, in your opinion, when did this start? I can't say for certain when it started exactly. I know it's been more recent that I've I've heard about it more recently um, in sort of probably the last couple of years it's sort of started to get in there. Although, I mean, I'd say the, um, the Sydney um, Archdiocese is pretty good. I mean, Archbishop Fisher is pretty level-headed and he's fairly... Um, fairly conservative in the way he um he comes across in the way he speaks um but in the para the Parramatta diocese is the one that's the worry at the moment because i think um there's i mean the guy who's in charge of the Parramatta diocese um in terms of education he's not necessarily the um he sort of i think he i mean he's talked about um bringing equity into equity being the foundation of um australian education and all that and that's really quite concerning because as we know equity is um equality of outcome not equality of opportunity so um if that that particularly is concerning um if that's going to be what he thinks is the foundation of schools um particularly catholic schools um, but I think the other problem is is that the um, the bishop at the moment is unwilling to sort of stand up to him. And I I think I agree with Mark Latham's sort of um, what he was saying on um, on Peter Credlin's show I think last week when um, Rita Panahi was hosting it. Um, when he was saying he thinks that the bishop doesn't necessarily understand the bill per se, um, and he thinks it sort of you know makes it out as if. Um, transgender people don't exist um, you know the bill's not saying that it's just saying that um, we don't want that gender fluidity stuff being taught in um, in schools particularly Catholic schools so I think yeah, well, um, I think he's on the money there yeah yeah well I mean, there's a couple of different waves of Marxism that's infiltrating the Catholic school system one is the climate change doctrine yeah. the other is the gender fluidity idea now, it's quite strange because, uh, I mean, science and the Catholic Church don't have a brilliant history, if we're honest. I mean, there have no. been some rough patterns <laughs> for sure, in the last for sure. couple of years. Okay, let's all be fair about that. But on there being two genders, science and the Catholic Church are kind of on the same page on this one, that they, you know, there's male and there's female. Now, the big mm-hmm. caveat, we all know that there's a small percentage of people who are born into sex, and that is not yep. to say there's yep. more than one gender. There is a medical no. condition which the exactly. one's claiming that this. We all understand this. And it's not part of the Marxist discussion anyway. That's totally separate to gender fluidity. Exactly. Now, yeah. now, now with this, how have you seen or read Catholic schools or representatives of Catholic Church uh, argue that uh, there's more than two genders? Like, how have you seen them rationalise this point of view that doesn't actually fit with church teachings or biology? Um, it's interesting. I mean... Like the, the the interesting thing is that the um the bishop of Parramatta at the moment, Bishop Vincent, he um like he said in his letter that he put out that he um on on the bill specifically that he sort of uh, he doesn't 
you know, he rebukes the idea of um, gender fluidity, um, but he still supports the bill that life, uh, he still, sorry, is against the bill, um, which is interesting because, I mean, you'd think that if you were, you know, um, if you believed that there were only two genders and you were against this whole idea of gender fluidity, that you'd be in favour of the bill. Um, but in terms, I mean, I haven't necessarily seen, um, uh, there's been probably more, um, more of the American Catholic bishops a, a bit of a, uh, you know, there's, there's some worries there, I think, but I mean, in Australia, at least, I haven't seen many priests like arguing or anything about um, about that whole, you know, being more than two genders or anything. Um, I think they're trying to, if if they're going to justify support um, being against a bill like this, it's more that they they don't want to. Um, they feel like it's going to exclude um, transgender people and it's going to um, cause discrimination for them and um it's going to affect them in that sort of way i think you know that's the when i, I, think when, I read your piece, when i read your piece i got the impression that it was more of a a yes men scenario where it doesn't matter if they agreed with the foundations or not they didn't want to be seen to side one nation yeah because yeah, they're Catholic, say, uh, yeah. Catholic labor like let's not forget people actually i mean oh you yeah. wouldn't know it from the from the commentary on twitter but catholicism has a long history unions in the Labour Party. Yes, and so yes, even though yes. Mark Latham is a Labour man and was, he's now run nation sitting centre-right. So if they were to support his bill, I suspect it might, you know, you know, in the foundations of their thoughts, yeah. like, oh, my God. For sure, yeah. And I think that's the other thing, like, particularly with Labour, I mean, like, you know, they're, they're losing a lot of the Catholic vote and all that at the moment. Um, and that's what probably affected them quite a lot last election. I mean, Chris Bowen in particular, his seat is fairly, I think the, his electorate is fairly Catholic or Christian or, um, but they, and, you know, he lost a lot of the vote last election at least um, because I think Labor's sort of going away from that and away from where they sort of, where their roots are. Um, and I saw, you know, I saw Kevin Rudd talking about how, you know, um, you know, Morrison and the whole thing about how he shouldn't be doing this with his, um, Christianity and everything and it's funny because you know a couple of years ago Kevin Rudd was saying oh you know we need to get more in touch with the um with the Catholics and the religious people in this country and it's just like well that's gone out the window in a couple of years so yeah, as I say yeah, they were yeah. quite a religious part of the Labour Party yeah, and now they're yeah. uh, now they're pretending that they're not and it's, it's simply not true no. but Mark Latham had uh, we've already been talking about it a little bit Mark Latham mm. has put out a bill called Education Legislation Amendment, the Parental Rights Bill um, of 2020. And, mm -hmm. I mean, we've talked about it before in this show, basically it gives parents the right to choose whether or not they want their kids learning this radical socialist ideology ideology inside class. It doesn't say they're going to object to it being taught as a general idea in the real world. It just means that yeah. in class with kids, they have a right whether their kids are learning it or not. Now, what I'm interested to know is, and I'm too far removed from it now because I haven't had a relative in school for, you know, five or six years, what's the feeling that you've seen of parents um, in the Catholic schools? Are they supportive of the bill or are they actually, like, is it what they want or are, are we arguing against what parents want? Um, so, I mean, I'm going to be transparent. I haven't talked to a lot of parents. I mean, <laughs> but, I mean, um, 
in general, I think they're, you know, they, I think they like, uh, um, at least, you know, more people on the Catholic and conservative side at least see it as a good thing because, um, because, you know, parental rights are sort of something that they, um, they're very much, um, they very much believe in. And, um, you know, particularly with um, Greg Whitby, the, the um, CEO um, of the, the director of the um, Catholic Education Diocese of Parramatta saying that, um, you know, parental rights have been long discarded in Australia or something. That That's just, you know, it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, um, I think parents do want to have a say in what their kids are learning and how their kids are, uh, particularly with in regards to, you know, morals and ethics and values and all that sort of, um, that sort of line of things. Um, they want to be able to have, play a part in, raising their kids to be you know what they want them to be in life and i think that's really the schools are there to they're supposed to be there to support that not to necessarily take on the role of the parents but um i think you know particularly with sort of marxism and all that sort of stuff coming into schools now it's more the schools want to play the role of the parent and that's sort of going back to you know the state trying to be the um the parent in that sort of situation. Yeah. Right, because if you want to, yeah. if you want to brainwash uh, a generation, you have to get them young. I mean, that is, let's be oh, honest, that's sure. one of the reasons. The reason religion starts with Sunday school is because if you try and tell adults some stuff when they're older, it's harder, right? It's more oh, yeah, We're already not when you're kids. And Marxism's no different. They know that if you don't want any, uh, if you want to bring up a generation of kids as Marxists, they have to be kids because otherwise they're not going to, no adult adopts Marxism and goes, oh, yeah, this is a great idea. It's not, it's not a thing. Um, most, most adults are busy running away from Marxism into other countries that oh, don't yeah. have it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. The only reason I asked you that question is because, um, as I said, I came from a private school on the North Shore, a relatively mm -hmm. um, traditionally conservative. It's actually Tony Abbott's um, old area, right? Okay. Yeah. And almost all of my school friends are now radical left-wing Marxist green voters, despite the fact that all their parents were liberals. And uh, the only people who aren't uh, greens voters today are the few of us who were actually secular. So there's definitely no protection from religion to stop no. these kids becoming uh, radical Marxists. So that's why I was interested in that question. Yeah, for sure. Um, so... Uh, what I was going to also just point out here is that it's this whole gender fluidity in school, as you were saying, they're supposed to be teachers, not, not indoctrinating yeah, people, but exactly. it's definitely related to this idea of needing affirmation from Marxist ideas rather than just acceptance. Do you think that plays into a little bit where they need to have people say, yes, you're right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's all like, you know, I mean, they have to be right. That's the thing. Like, it's, it's like, um, you know, they, these sorts of things, um, people aren't really open to alternative views and all that. And um, like particularly, you know, those on the those on the left that you know claim to be tolerant and all that, you know, um, they're probably some of the most I, some some of the most intolerant people I've seen are on that side of the political spectrum. And I mean, that's where I mean that's where all the hate comes from, to be honest. Um, and they're basic, I've said this on many occasions and written it in many articles and stuff that, you know, the left are pretty much the exact things that they hate. And, um, I mean, you know, they go around um, writing or, you know, um, or just, you know, hating on people or just 
name calling or whatever. And I mean, at that point, when they're name calling, it pretty much means they have no sufficient argument left to make. Um, but yeah, I think there is definitely, um, they definitely feel a need for affirmation. And um, I think a lot more people um, sort of think that they need to be yes men now to be able to um, be heard in society and, you know, be accepted. So. Well, there was a lot of tolerance. Yeah. I can't forget, there's always been, in, at least since we've been at school and I've been at school and even before my, my brother's a generation ahead of me, um, there's been tolerance in religious schools for not only transgender but oh, sure. gender we've had, we've, I mean, I had, I think, more than one gay teacher in our Christian school in a conservative area and it was never a problem. The difference was exactly. it was a topic of conversation, right? That's the difference. Mm. And now um, you'd have to basically come to work wearing rainbow hair or something in order yeah. for it to be and it's not the place of school. I mean, teachers are there to teach kids to be literate. Let's be mm. completely frank That's about that. It. They're yeah, not exactly spiritual upbringing. Exactly. Um, now you've written so much about uh, the history of Western civilization, particularly in terms of religion. So before we get into your project, I'm just going to, because I'm interested in, in it as well. It's a yeah, great topic. Yeah, sure. um, talk about the relationship between religion and Marxism, because I've been on yeah. so many panels. Where so many people have said, "Oh, you can't be a Christian and a Marxist." I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, let's stop there for a second. So the bigger question is, why do Christians keep supporting collectivist movements? Now we all know the Catholic Church was softer on Hitler than he should have been, than they should have mm. been. Even though, of course, that the the Nazi regime killed lots of Catholics and lots of Christians, there was still not as much, um, let's say, opposition to it as there should have been. Um, and in fact, all Christian religions have been tied up to socialism in the in Europe from the very yeah. beginning. And with a well-known saying that Jesus was the first communist, it, it's been going around for a long time. So mm. you've got romantic socialism, you've got Christian socialism, you've got Christian communism, um, and they all use the example of Jesus to argue that society should be structured around the collective, not the individual. And this is my point, which I want I'd love to hear your thoughts on. Um, my Christianity is a bit, you know, crusty, but yeah, the Christian the Christian socialists have missed the most important lesson, and that is choice. And there's no choice under a communist system. So what do you think about that whole idea? So I've actually been looking into this a lot more lately, um, particularly the argument that Jesus was a socialist. And because, um, I, I mean, somebody made that to me, what was it, last week, that argument on Twitter, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to look into this a bit more, do a bit more research on this because, you know. Oh, they go for the 20 years of your life, man. There's oh, so yeah. much written on it. Oh, yeah, you know. Um, but I was having a look um, over the last week and I've actually, I've written down some verses and stuff here that sort of go to that sort of topic. Um, the two particular moments they always tend to pick out um, of Jesus' ministry that are cited by socialists yeah, um, as more of as a rebuke of the... Um, of the rich or, you know, a rebuke of capitalism in a sense, is um, there's two, two, um, two moments during his ministry. One was uh, when he drove the money changers from the temple. They argued that, you know, he was angry with, um, with these people for being rich and all that, Where, whereas, you know, realistically, if you interpret, you know, like people misinterpret these um, biblical verses all the time, that's a, become a big problem. Um, but wasn't that more about corruption? I mean, I even remember that. I yes, thought that was about yes, corruption. That was church, more about the concept of money. That was more about like he was angry that um, that the church was being misused um, in a sense, um, and 
he never actually drove like those sort of people from banks or marketplaces or anything. He just he drove them from the church because he was angry that they were selling bread, right? He wasn't there attacking exactly. those people. Exactly. He just um, he was angry that they were using misusing God's house in a sense. Um, the other one that they use is the quote that it's um, from Jesus is that it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that that one, they they like to use that one a lot. And realistically, if that doesn't have anything to do with you know um with capitalism or anything it's more just a warning that you know with great wealth come great temptations and you've just got to make sure that you're balanced in that sense even if you're rich you've got to make sure you don't you know you're not giving in to temptations all the time and everything you're still well, there are plenty doing of poor good people and everything. Who, oh there are plenty of terrible poor people right who can't exactly who for sure. the it for wasn't sure. like i think I mean, gosh, this is going back a long time, but wasn't it more about the idea that you can't buy your way into heaven? Wasn't that the whole yeah, point? Of yeah, that? exactly. Exactly. I mean, I it's not like it's got nothing to do with, you know, um, with that sort of socialism or anything. Um, but the other things that they quote, um, they, you know, socialism, obviously, it's, you know, all about central planning of the economy by the government and, you know, government control over the means of production and all that sort of stuff. Um, but so Jesus was, you, you can clearly see that Jesus wasn't a socialist because all the stuff he talked about, he told people that, you know, at any time you can help the poor um, for, you know, you always have them with you. That's from um, Mark 14, 7. And then, um, you know, he didn't say we're going to make you help whether you like it or not. It was all voluntary. And that's the that's the thing about socialism. Socialism is distinguished, I'm sorry, distinguished by force. It's not voluntary. A lot of the stuff that Jesus espoused was more voluntary. You know, you're helping out of the goodness of your own heart and um, you're doing it. I mean, for, it also you know, helps that you know, he was, you know, in the stories, he was the son of God, right? So he could snap yeah. his fingers and there was suddenly bread and wine. Well, the communist dictators, their system, they, they don't have the ability to just magic wine and bread out of the air. Most of their people starve. And so it's not even the same concept of what they're talking about when you've got him as leader versus, I don't know, Xi Jinping. Yeah, exactly. While I understand how some, you know, 17th and 18th century um, religious people might romanticise the idea of, you know, a socialist situation because a lot of them were poor at the time, Mm. um, it doesn't really translate to the upper-middle-class Catholics using the same argument, does it? It seems a bit hypocritical of uh, them trying to adapt. Oh, for sure. I mean... um... (laughs) Like even like, and I've said before, you know, I've said if even if um, Jesus was a socialist, right? He was so he was the only person because he was pure. He was the only man who could probably do socialism right in a sense. Whereas a lot of the others, like nowadays, because um, humanity is so susceptible to corruption and um, and greed and all that sort of stuff, particularly people in um, positions of power and, you know, they get obsessed with power and money and um, all that sort of stuff. Socialism can never be done right. And it's always well, going to lead to to Not even like him. It, I would argue that they'd yeah. still starve under him. Like, I, I, oh, probably, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's just... He <laughs> wouldn't have been this popular. It's never going to work. That's it, you know. And they can yeah. come back and say all the time that, you know, oh, it just doesn't wasn't done right here or, you know, like in Venezuela or Cuba or, you know, wherever. It's just like... It's never going to be done right. And that's the whole 
concept. I think I was um, listening to Jordan Peterson say this in one of his lectures that, you know, that whole thing about, you know, that whole thing about people coming and saying, you know, it just wasn't done right. Well, you know, how are you going to do it better? Because you can't. That's it. Just it can't be done um, better than yeah, well, one of what the it is. People, exactly. One of the smartest people who's ever tried to do this before was actually Stalin. He was not a stupid man. He was an evil man. No, he wasn't. But he was. Yeah. And he had a really good go at it, and he couldn't make it work. Um, look, I am pretty sure that um, I'm giving modern Christians a bit too, and socialists and Marxists a little bit too much intellectual credit. I'm pretty sure they haven't read the last couple hundred years of Christianity and socialism and the arguments mm. for it. Mm -hmm. um, I have a feeling it has more to do with um, the appeal to morality, which is what oh, yeah. it all started with. And this is what the modern left call virtue. Um, mm. So it's the idea that you are closer to God if you support things that uh, society is telling you are good. Do you think that might be a fairer way to explain why there are so many Christian social or Marxists out there at the moment? They think it's they think it's good. Probably, yeah. And I mean, you know, it does go back to them probably thinking that, you know, it aligns with the values of, you know, doing good and um, being kind and all that, uh, you know, being loving and um, caring for other people. Um, but, and you know, I think that's probably why they align with that sort of, um, with that sort of ideology in a sense. Um, but I think, you know, they're probably trying to take it and twist it to put it into that ideology more than um, actually, you know, doing what um, what was, they're, they're probably cherry picking the Bible per se to actually support their um, their views rather than actually reading it and reading it in context and, um, you know, going about it that way, I'd say, yeah. Well, let, me, let me put it this way. How many um, of your devout Catholic friends and pastors and uh, representatives have you met who would actually part with their iPhone, their car, their house, you know, to envelop the oh, real yeah, market? Exactly. None. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So that's how you can tell they don't really believe it because if they actually got it, oh, they, wouldn't, sure. they don't want it. Exactly. Exactly. It's so true. Yeah. It's just... Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's funny because that's exactly what happened last time is all these Christians and Catholics got together and they're like, yay, Marxism for the poor. And then they got it and they were like, wow, this is terrible, this is terrible, and they all got killed. And for some reason, churches don't teach. Have you ever heard a church teach about the history of Marxism and Christianity? Like, have you ever heard it, ever? No. No. That's really bizarre. It's a huge piece of your it, history. It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I don't know. Never heard <laughs> Never come yeah. up, so. Maybe you should start writing about that because nobody else is. <laughs> Might be a good avenue. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the other idea that we have to remember, of course, is that some things like socialism um, work well in small groups of ideologically similar mm -hmm. people. So, um, you know, like cult behaviour works for the cult for a short period of yeah. time for yeah. a small group of people, but that does not mean that you can upscale an idea to an entire like a billion people and it's even less likely that you can upscale it to a billion people and keep people being free and having exactly. an opinion so even if my argument is even if jesus was a socialist even if he was advocating for hardcore socialism for his group that doesn't mean you'd be able to apply that to a billion people worldwide and remain oh, for free. sure exactly and it'd be difficult to do i mean you can't the, the way socialism works i mean 
everyone would maybe get, you know, a small piece of bread every day and that's it. I mean, that's not, I mean, or every few days, I mean, depending on the supply. I mean, that, it's just, it just doesn't work. It's not going to, people are going to yeah. be really clear about that. It'll be a peasant in a field with a pitchfork. That's it. Exactly. That's it. <laughs> Okay, so on this topic, you've been doing a lot of writing, a lot of writing. Yes. On a, yeah. new, on a new blog series called um, Uncovering Christianity, Exploring the Root of the West. Do you want to just talk the audience through what this blog series is and why you've done it? Sure. So, I mean, the idea came to me probably, and this is kind of ironic, is that it came to me because of a, um, a task I was doing for my university course, which was, you know, you'd think you, you, with universities these days, everything's just bad. But I mean, that was probably the That's only thing. Right there. I, I mean, wrote about Western civilization. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Um, that was the only good thing to come out of university. Um, uh, no, it's still going. I mean, you know. Uh, but um, yeah, so it came from that sort of just writing a paragraph or something. Um, on something that I was interested in writing about. And I sort of looked at it and I thought, you know what, I could turn this into something else. So I started sort of writing it and then um, I gave it a day just to sort of think about it a bit more because, um, I mean, I wrote about, you know, a few paragraphs of the first one and I thought I'll give it a day, see what comes to mind and everything and then go from there. And it sort of started to come together. So I started to have a few different ideas of what topics I could write about, how I could relate it back to, because, um, I mean, it started as the idea of relating Christianity back to Western civilization and at least the foundation, make, you know, it's like the foundation of Western civilization. So um, once I started linking that back to that, I started exploring some different topics that I could talk about, uh, that I could write about for each um, each one and I'm you know still trying to find more topics and stuff and go uh, keep going with it um, but so far you know we've gone through things like um, like choice and I I mean every one of them I sort of the way I'm writing it I draw from sort of what I've read of um, in um, Jordan Peterson's books so like that sort of inspired me in a sense because he has a way of melding in um, you know philosophy and theology and all that in with um, some, he uses, you know, biblical references and he explores that he, um, in terms of morality and values, and um, he looks at um, his own experience and his own clinical experience and all that sort of stuff. And I wanted to sort of be able to integrate my own experience and biblical references as well into um, what I was writing. So, um, so like a few of them we've done, I've done so far, um, like the most recent one we I did was um, on leaders and followers, um, but I think you know some of them. Some of them are more sort of you know go to morals and values. Some of them go more to sort of start to draw towards the political realm. But I try not to go too deep into uh, politics with it because I don't want it to become another you know whole um, political sort of debate type thing i want it to sort of be something that people can read and sort of be drawn into um understanding christianity at least um particularly for those who aren't all familiar with it and all um you know or who might have the urge to explore it a bit more um that's is sort of the target is there anything in particular that 
that you really learned when you did it? Like, is there something, a, a, a topic or an idea that you came across that you did not know or expect to learn when you were writing it? Um, I mean, um, just thinking about it, I mean, I've, I've learned a fair bit more about my own religion, I mean, in doing it. I mean, I... Um, I've always, yeah, I've been a Catholic since I was born. Um, but, and, you know, I teach um, scripture in, um, in, at a primary school nearby as well. And I mean, the, I mean, even in that experience, like the kids are always teaching me stuff as well. Like, you know, it's a sort of a two way thing. Um, but I think like I've learned more sort of about um, those sort of biblical times and everything. And I've sort of understood began to understand the um, some of the stories from those times a bit more and a bit more in depth at least. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you get the basic sort of understanding as a child and everything and, um, you know, you you know the stories, you know, you know, you can probably tell them off by heart and all that, um, but it's interesting to sort of look at them in terms of the, the morals and the values um, and that are sort of central to Catholicism and or Christianity and, um, look at it in that sort of sense. What's always astounding to me is that um, when you start on this journey of learning about history in general, whether it's political history or the history of the West, it's how much has been left out of our education system. I mean, oh, I don't sure. know about you, but, but my history was dire at school. They didn't really have much interest in teaching us. Um, uh, for example, I'll give you one. Most people understand World War II. But very few people yeah. understand how we ended up at World War One. That's a that's a confusing war, and um, I mean we all learn the events of that led up to it, but we don't understand why the whole yeah. world decided to tear each other apart. And it takes a long time to finally put that in context. And it's because no one ever really bothers to tell you. And if you go and ask your your grandparents, your great grandparents, they know, but mm. it's not being taught, and it's very rarely being recorded properly either, because then it, history is is highly politicised these days. And so I'm sure you found it when trying to research the West, you would have had to go back to old documents and old texts because anything written the last oh, 10 years... Sure. For sure. Recent, I mean, recent texts, are, you know, there's not a lot in there. I mean, yeah, that, you have, you have to go back. Like yeah, I mean, why, I mean, why would you read them? There's no point. <laughs> you have to go back and, um, you know, go back years and decades and all that and um, even centuries, just try and find stuff if that's actually, you know, um that actually makes sense and <laughs> actually you know in depth and all that rather than just you know on the surface oh, scratching the surface or anything you know i've got a book you would love called the history of three of free thought in the 18th century which is all about religion in the west and how it all came together in there but um you won't find that around today or even in print um have you thought about turning this into like a blog series to basically translate it for people to watch i'm sure dave would be happy to put it up uh potentially yeah that's been a that's been something i've been thinking about um like i've been thinking of a few a few different options so i've been thinking of turning it into either you know a um, video series or a um or even a um like a a book of sorts once it's all you know done well i mean once i've gotten to a point where i think okay that series is done, you know, uh, although that's nowhere near where we are yet. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm happy <laughs> that Dave will attack you when this meeting is over and be like, oh, oh for sure, for sure. I mean, you <laughs> know. Until we're finished. Um, so I hope he does. Get, 
Before we get to our fun question at the end, uh, I'm just going to give a little shout out to you. Of course, you are on Twitter. You are mm -hmm. at Joel underscore A-G-I-U-S one. Yes. I think I got that right. And your blog where you write these amazing little pieces are jjsoutlook.com. Yep. Um, is there anywhere else we can find you that you would advertise? Um, so I've got the um, uh, um, a Facebook those page. Are the main two. I mean, I I have the Facebook page for the blog, but I don't really update it that much anymore. Yeah, I mean, because I a lot of it just comes along on um, Twitter. Or just I just chuck it up on you know on my personal Facebook for people to have a look at and stuff. Um, I've got my um, my Kofi page there as well. You know, that's linked in the Twitter bio and everything. So, you know, go check it all out. <laughs> yeah, go and uh, give Joel a shout-out on Kofi. Um, and, look, uh, before we leave you today, uh, Culture Wars, or uh, our little curtain call thing likes to go into the Culture Wars by asking, if you could have dinner with anybody, living or dead, who would it be and why? Now, I've been thinking about this one. Um, so was racking my brain and I the, the first person that came to mind and I think I'm going to stick with this is probably Jordan Peterson because and I'd say that because I find his whole um the way he thinks so interesting and I'd like to be able to you know discuss things more with him and see where he you know I mean uh, particularly he's sort of um, relationship with um, Christianity and so it's quite interesting to watch that sort of play out because he, you know, he's said before that um, he lives as if God, he lives his life as if God is um, exists, and um, he sort of in recent years started to sort of come a bit closer to um, to Christianity and to uh, accepting it and all that sort of stuff. So it's it's quite interesting to um, watch that play out in particular. So I'd love to sort of have more of a conversation with him and sort of. Um, more of a deep philosophical value type uh, conversation. See where that goes. That'd be interesting. Well, that's wonderful. And look, thank you so much for joining us on Curtain Call today. And best oh, of luck with all your ventures and your writing. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on Curtain Call. We are hosted by The Good Source, the home of conservative and libertarian voices. Help us fight fake news by following us online. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and all good podcasting services. If you enjoy this content, please like and subscribe.